In today's episode, meet Cormac O'Shea from Minnesota as he uncovers the Irish traditional music world. I'm your host, Sylvia Morn, and you're listening to the Music Secrets Exposed podcast. Today on the podcast, I have a very special guest. His name is Cormac O'Shea. He's director of the O'Shea Irish Dance and president of the Celtic Junction Art Centre. Welcome to the podcast, Cormac. Good to have you. Yeah, lovely to be here, Sylvia. Thanks so much for having me. So before the interview, we did a big conversation all about Irish traditional music and your involvement with it. Now, what I'm dying to know is how did you get into Irish traditional music and what made you stick with it? Um, well, my, I suppose my real introduction to it, my parents were very keen um, Irish music uh, enthusiasts. They, they, they grew up uh, in mostly in the Irish dancing circles, but what drew drew them to the dancing was the music, and what drew them to the music was the dancing. They were both hand in hand in our household, and um, you know it was just it was part of the the background of our household, and always a part of the soundtrack of what was what was in our lives. So as I um, as I was about three or four years of age, you know my parents were absolutely steeped up to their necks in, in Irish dancing. Um, and and where all the way to I lost my mother a few years ago and and all the way up to the end and my father still is he's president of actually the Uncommissioned Lurinki Gaelica which is the Irish Dancing Commission um, he's the president of it right now so they're very um, it was really our it was really the atmosphere around us I have two older siblings both of whom played uh, music but for me at about three or four years of age it just seemed like I gravitated I was the kid that was sitting next to the musicians at the side of the stage. That might have been, you know, accordion players, fiddlers, piano players, stuff like that, that would have been like former dancers and, you know, involved in trad music. Um, and just, I suppose, if you have a common interest in the two, there's a, there's a great crossover between them. So I, I started gravitating towards the accordion at, uh, at that age. And by about six, I found myself in lessons. Um, I think I kind of demanded that there were lessons. My brother had started a little bit before me and he's four years older. And um, there was lessons in in local houses in in, in Blanchardstown in Dublin where we lived, and then that gravitated up to the community school. Um, and uh, yeah, the the guy who was my first teacher, um, Terry Nulty, he has a very successful um, music school teaching all kinds of classical and Irish music in Swords in Dublin. He's a big music school, but he he began you know with trad roots and 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 with dancing as well and. Um, so for me, it, 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 they were kind of intrinsically linked and still in my in my my musical journey. Like yesterday, we did a little a little fair here in town in St. Paul. And, you know, it was it was kind of featuring our dance school, but I was their musical accompanist for it. And so that's one of the things that I, I tend to do quite a lot like back and forth to home. I mean, do you still dance yourself or? Or is it more focused? Yeah, occasionally dance. I'm more, more I teach now, but occasionally I cameo, as they say, go in for a few bars here and there with the yeah. kids, um, just to keep my keep myself going. But um, no, I play I play piano accordion. I play a little bit of piano and then some percussion. 
Um, I've kind of dabbled in a few other instruments, but none of them that I would admit to or 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 uh, or play in public yeah, in front of anyone just your else. Personal pride. Um, Indeed, yeah. yeah. And it's always like as you're as you're involved in like I, I've an understanding and a and a, a little bit of proficiency on a few other instruments, but it's not um, like I say. It, leave that to the people who are better <laughs> at. Oh yeah. Often the, the best message. Yeah. So you've got a big deal going on. It seems in Minnesota. You're you've, you're director of the O'Shea Irish Dance and you're president of the Celtic Junction Art Centre. Now I think we'll start with the Art Centre because there's a lot going on there. Can you just explain what that nonprofit is about, what it does in the community, what parts there are to it? Because you have a library, you've you've dance studios there, I believe you have, you know, classrooms there. And there's also an education facility there as well. There's a lot going on as well as yeah. events. So a lot going on. So around um, well, our journey in town here, I moved here about 20 years ago when I married my wife, who's from St. Paul here. And for a number of years, we had young children and we kind of just had a conventional day job um, working in actually kind of like outdoors, like landscaping and, and um, fountain building and stuff like that. And it was just a, a family business I got involved in. But after a few years of being here, you know, attending a few concerts and kind of getting my, I, I suppose even backing up a little bit, when I first moved here, I, I, I thought to a degree maybe I was going to be surrendering my Irishness to a certain extent. I'd be just like, well, you know, we're going to move to the States and that'll be that, you know, and don't worry about it. And there won't be a lot of music. So I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll enjoy going to a few concerts and so be it. And I suppose in a, in an innocent way, not having any understanding of how strong and how popular Irish music and Irish culture is in the States on a, on a realistic level. I saw, I saw it on a frivolous level, having been all over the country touring and, and having been here a lot as a, my parents brought us here a lot as kids. But then when you're, you know, my early 20s and, and thinking of moving here, um, I just kind of, I suppose I had a little mini funeral in my head for, for my Irish music career to a degree, thought to myself, well, you know, that'd be that. And what wrong, how wrong I was, you know, um, about five years after we moved here, we, um, we started our dance school. Um, and that was uh, at the Associate Irish Dance. And, you know, it really was inspired to a degree by my children because they were starting to come to an age where they were, you know, maybe going to kindergarten, to school, and they would go visit home. My parents had a dance school. They would see, go and visit that. And then all of a sudden it just, it became apparent that this was going to be the path for us. So we started into that and we never looked back. Um, a few years in, kind of really simultaneously to that, or maybe a year after that, there was a, 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 a couple that we met in town here called Kate and Jody Dowling. Um, their husband and wife went from Milwaukee and went from Chicago. And they are, had uh, started an Irish music program at the St. Paul Conservatory, which is a classical music school, but they had an Irish program in it. And from that was born the Center for Irish Music, um, which is another non-for-profit in town here. And a, and, a, and a group that we collaborate with a lot. Uh, my wife was on the was on the board. Was a founding vice president of of the organization, and served on that board for a long number of years. And it was through conversations with the members of the Center for Irish Music and and with our dance school, we kind of were looking for a space where we could kind of cohabit and a space that we could, um, you know, really have our organizations have a chance to grow and not necessarily be just renting into a into you know other spaces that were used for other things 
So that was what the Celtic Junction was born from. It was the idea of having a building where people would be able to go and freely practice and freely uh, express their, their music, their dance, their art, culture. It took a little while to get to a place where we had a fully fledged art center running. You know, we started out with a lot of events and some concerts and um, around seven years ago is where the the real um, nexus of the idea to have it be a non-for-profit um, and, a, and a community-driven uh, art centre was That's born. the thing that comes across on your site when you look at the promo video of you doing the walkthrough, that it's very much community. And that's what I believe track music should be all about anyway. It's a very much of a community. Indeed, I mean, the building is 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 publicly accessible by people. There's probably 500 plus people in the community that know the code to get in the door. It's never it's never closed to them. Um, if they need to meet somebody, if they want to uh, go practice, if they want to do anything, it's always there for them. And it's a, it's a relationship built on trust. Um, like I said, the building itself, the physical bricks and mortar are personally owned by us, um, which was an opportunity we had to to um, to do that. And um, but outside of that. The, the, that's, that's kind of a, not even an important detail. The important detail is we have it. And then that's yeah. the, the non-for-profit now uh, has been a tremendous vehicle with which to share it with the community. Um, and then with which to organize um, organize education classes. Um, and one of, one of the inspirations behind the non-for-profit was a donation of books from the family of own. Yeah, I saw that, that there's like uh, this big library i mean how many books are in it it's it seems sizable there are five thousand plus titles at this point plus over a music uh, a thousand musical um albums right. and um, all of which are donated by the community the the library began with a donation of books from owen mckiernan's family now owen is a guy that you you could spend a week just talking about him alone we won't get too far into it but he was a he was an incredible figure in in irish america um starting back in the you know 1940s 50s 60s right up through like he really really a fascinating character um and he he passed away in 2004 and his family had his uh, collection of books um and they had maintained it in their in their home because uh, when in his latter years he lived with one of his sons and they built a library in the house his books were his were his pride and joy so um after a while, then they, they contacted us. They felt like we were the, the right repository. And we took that very seriously. And we went to the community and asked what did they and what they want access to a library. And there was a massive response. We held a fundraiser um, to build out a space in the building to build a library. And that really required the, the you know, I suppose, fast tracking some of the, the thoughts that had been there to create a nonprofit that really kind of, uh, made it here and present, and it needs to happen now. And out of that then was born the education program the following year. And uh, we took under, like I had been running concerts as the Celtic Junction in the building for about seven or eight years at that point. And then the non-for-profit took over the concert series, uh, which has been a great uh, a great boon to it. Um, and then outside, after that, you know, outreach was always a part of our um informally was always a part of what we were doing we were always trying to you know collaborate with the music school with the dance school with it with partners in town to to bring irish performance and irish art to people but the outreach program really formalized that and we've um 
we've been lucky to receive some funding from the Department of Foreign Affairs. Um, and I think a lot of it is actually really aimed at that outreach part. It's, it's spreading the Irish diaspora around, around the United States and Canada. And that's the motivation for them to uh, to, to fund us. So when I look at what you're doing and I look at the bigger picture of Irish traditional music in America, is it a growing genre? Are P is the interest in it still growing? Or is there a challenge to keep it kind of there? Well, it's growing. It's growing without doubt. It's absolutely growing. Um, it, it's something that people are still, uh, I mean, there are, there's just such a vast population in the United States. But it's a very, um, it's a very, it's a primed audience, you could say. When when the general American populace experience Irish music and, and dance and culture and, and art and film and you know books, literature, you know all of, it just seems to jive with them largely. I think because you know as a as a as, as a European culture, Ireland is very fortunate in that we have the English language as our uh, as so prof the proficiency in English language is so high. Um, that there's that's one barrier that's removed to a degree, and then for for Irish America to travel to Ireland seems to be one of the you know if if you meet anyone and talk about Ireland they they tell you uh, uninvited they tell you about the trip that they've had yeah. to Ireland or the planned trip. I'll tell you we coming. need them to come back. We Ireland needs them to come yeah, back. Yeah, exactly. You know that, that's one of the biggest tragedies of COVID has been the the um, the the lack of tourism Huge. to Ireland and and. and yeah, and the 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 damage uh, you could say short term and long term that 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 has done to to um to the Irish economy is huge because it's such a part of the fabric of what people it's how people make their living. Well, I mean, I'm living near a village here in County Limerick, Adair, and it's kind of a stopping off point, if you will, from Clare on the way to Kerry, and a marked downturn because of the change in tourism, and it's so sad because it was so enjoyable to see. The movement of people coming through and everybody was loving the interaction in the community of the people coming into the community and all of that and um well the hospitality shown to american tourists in ireland is just astounding and it really genuine from the heart yeah and i mean you go back into places then like killarney and the loss of concerts because of that the loss of i remember there before covid you'd walk down the main street in killarney and there would be a public house open and the doors would be wide open and there'd be musicians and dance and the place would be full. Yeah. And you just gaze in through a little yeah. square glass window and there they are dancing and it's everybody together. No hatred, no division, everybody accepted. And that's the thing that I'm seeing about Irish culture in general. When we get into this traditional way of looking at Irish culture, it brings people in without judgment and criticism. And I think that's a wonderful thing when you exclude the you know, competitive element of it. It's a wonderful thing. Yes. Yeah, I think a lot of what people are so uh, are tremendous at is the, what have you got to share? Mm -hmm. Tell us your story. Yeah. Tell us what's your dance, what's your, what's your story, what's your poem, what's your uh, your bit of performance. And and I think that's part of our yeah, culture. Yeah, people love us. For many, many yeah. hundreds people of years. People love us. And particularly Irish America um, is are, are hugely fond yeah. of it. And, uh, and that's where the, the strong ties and relationship between the two countries. Now, some people have said to me personally that I, only for America, Irish music would have died a slow death. Is that true in your estimation? Because you're over in America seeing it from that point of view. You were brought up in Dublin with a very strong Irish trad background. Do you agree with that opinion? 
I think it's um, it, you'd both agree and disagree with it. I think that it has been a very fertile ground for people to um, one make a living because it's very hard to make a living on Irish music in Ireland. Um, I think the phrase has been long coined um, back in back in the days where you two were starting off. Um, the advice they were given was you have to leave Ireland to be successful, to come back to be recognised that you were successful. Um, and that's what groups have done, you know. So if you look at some of the, the biggest Irish groups, they're, they're far bigger in the United States. And then when they go home, people go, oh, yeah, God, you're doing very well over there now, aren't you? Um, so the parochial nature of home can be very tough on its own. Uh, we can be very hard on our own people. Um, and saying, you know, there's a little bit of begrudgery and a little bit of, um, you know, what would you be wanting with that? And, what would, you know, people knowing each other's business and so on. I suppose it's a bit like when the neighbour gets a new car, somebody goes, oh, no, where's she get the money for yeah, that? Exactly. That yeah, exactly. Yeah, the more rural you go, the worse and, it gets. And that's part of the, yeah, part of the yeah. charm, you know. Yeah. So it's not not to be looked at negatively. It just is part of our culture. Um, but in America, the... The market is there and the and the people with an appetite for it um, and who will pay to go to a concert, you know, pay their 20 bucks or whatever it is. And they go to a concert and they'll appreciate it. They might buy the CD as well. And I think that that's one of the that's one of the very troubling things to me at the moment is, you know, immigration to the U.S. is, is practically um, yes, stopped. And your ability to come like I, I would typically at this time of year be booking um, acts who be coming on their their winter tours so will become a January, February, March leading up to St. Paddy's Day. There's only one that I know of. There's only one group of uh, Donegal Girls of Screaming Orphans who are kind of on the Irish music with a rock background. You know, they're characters, but they were they grew up all as, as steeped in traditional music and then took their own angle on it. And they have managed to um, they've managed to uh, secure. The, the ability to travel to the US. I know that the High Kings are out here at the moment. Um, they had some previous visa stuff that was done a couple of years ago. So they were able to actually honor their tour. But most of these acts that are absolutely huge, I mean, they're packing out thousand seater theaters uh, all over the US on the tour. As, that's what I was just going to ask you is about the number of attendees to a typical concert in the States. You know, what's the uptake of a typical concert, we'll say, in Minnesota, in your area? We know New York and San Fran and all that would probably be big enough, but in areas like your own area. Well, you see, in in the U.S., the Minneapolis-St. Paul is a huge theatre town. So there's um, there's a massive number of theatres here. I think we're like number four in, the, in, 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 in North America for theatre seats per capita. And so when there's when there are shows... Uh, coming through, we we have a fantastic theatre scene. To go along with that, you know, from an Irish music perspective, where as you know, the East Coast would be very strong, and then there would be a whole Midwest tour. But from the Midwest point of view, we're about three hundred and fifty miles northwest of Chicago. So after here, there isn't a lot further you can go until you're you know kind of hit starting to hit the West Coast. There isn't a lot of Irishness now. Like out in Montana, there's a couple of very there was huge Irish settlements out there in Butte and um, and in uh, Missoula, Montana, and stuff like that. And there's tremendous history, but they're not all that known of and not all that well known. But it's it's a 16 hour drive or you know thousand miles out there. So for someone on uh, touring on a shoestring budget, 
it's very difficult to do it. Like I have to be pretty aggressive and, and it's, I suppose it's people knowing me personally, I have to kind of make those connections to actually get artists to come up to the Twin Cities because they might hit Chicago. They might have in previous times gone to Milwaukee or Madison or stuff like that, or they've gone south. But um, yeah, there are, there are nucleuses. There are, there are kind of um, informal um, tour kind of zones that people would do. Um, but we're trying with the, with the help of the Irish consulate uh, various consuls around the country trying to put together networks of um, touring. And this is something that was happening pre-COVID and it's stalled a little bit right now because there's been, you know, more pressing things at hand, but there's real good efforts trying to re um, reinvigorate those efforts. But the problem is, is that if you can't get a visa to come into the US or if you're starting, you know, 10 grand in the hole because you need to get you know, visa applications for all your band members and so on. And, and it's very discouraging. Um, and I've been part of for a lot of different bands and trying to, you know, create opportunity for them. But right at the moment, it's it's very difficult. I'm hoping that, you know, in the in the springtime that there'll be, you know, that there will be obviously tremendous interest in in um in touring and there'll be a backlog of demand. But for an Irish band, you you know, you can go to Germany and you can go to Scandinavia and you can go to Europe and tour. And there's a great audience there and really appreciates our music and our and our culture. And you don't have to deal with all of this. So there's there's some real challenges for the US um, and for Irish music and, and, and Irish culture traveling around the US at the moment. So the Irish government themselves are doubling down their efforts. They're really putting some concerted effort and, and millions of euro into it. You know, they're they're trying to uh, support the arts in America and support the people who are who are actually participating in it and generating it and promoting it. Yeah. Well, it's it's an integral part of of who we are as a nation, to be honest, all of that traditional scene. Now, just before the interview, we were talking about this role of performance and just to lead on from what we're talking about, about the touring and all the rest of it. I just referenced um, Sharon Shannon and Natalie McMasters and the Celtic Colours Festival at how engaging they are with the audience. And that from my observation so far with the Irish traditional work, given that I'm coming from a classical perspective, is that very often, in some cases, not all, musicians can lose out on the connection between them and the audience because there's something magic that happens when they know how to work that connection. And it's not something that's a controlling thing for the audience to be controlled. I'm not speaking about it in that tone, but I'm speaking about it from a point of view of just getting the interest from the audience, but maintaining it and keeping them to come back. That magic is essential. So can you just speak about that, the importance of that and how you work it into your tutoring and work in general? Well, if you look at those two artists that you brought up, um, you know, Natalie is, is, is a Canadian by birth and, and um, you know, from Cape Breton. And Cape Breton, as a, as a, it's a place I've been not fortunate enough to visit, but it's on the, it's, I mean, it's, it's on the top of the absolute top of the bucket list to go. Um, the intention has been to go to Celtic Colours many times. But the type of music that is, um, that is, you know, bred into people in the in that area of the world is it's literally is a it's an absolute expression of joy. The way that they play their music and they practice their music from the youngest age. I mean, you will see just incredible virtuosity like kids of seven and eight years of age who have just grown up in households 
their a piano or a fiddle or a, an accordion or whatever is put in their put in their hands and um, and they're just kind of you know let fly with it and the, it's such an expression of joy. Um, so with Natalie herself, you know, and the step dancing is really integral to their culture as well. You know, so they a lot one of the biggest traditions they have is to you know playing the fiddle, playing the piano, and doing the step dancing, and you will find so many repeats of that people who are that is their that's their three their three party pieces that they do um but in in sharon and natalie you have just you've incredibly um joyful human beings people who are happy within themselves who are able to connect with an audience who are able to express their music and make it accessible to people make it and make it fun I mean, well, you see, this, this is it. This is it. I think what's happening here in Ireland in some cases now, I, this is by not, no means a blanket statement, but very often what happens is lethargy and boredom sets in some way. I, I can't put my finger in it precisely. And you've musicians sitting up there on stage and there's no joy being conveyed. They might be enjoying playing the music for all I know, but it isn't being conveyed. And what I'm wondering is, when you're tutoring dancers or musicians or whatever, do you tutor them on how to convey that joy of the music and how to really express it suitably in accordance to what they're playing? Yeah, I, I suppose your earliest years would start off with, with proficiency, you know, just through proficiency in your instrument or proficiency in your performance, if it's dance or if it's whatever it is, um, comes a freedom and comes the ability then to be able to express yourself. You need a certain level of proficiency on the instrument or in the in the art form to be then free to not have to, like in your first part of your brain, concentrate on what you're doing with the dance, but then be able to concentrate on the people you're doing it for. So that's a big part of so the- you're talking, So you're talking about getting it into an autopilot, like doing the 100% to work and 40% more, like I think Mike Arturi said in the interview I did with him, which is perfectly correct. Yeah, you know, you then there's you only have so much to give. So you have to be able to get the part of your performance to a level that it's there. It's it's it can be recalled without a problem. And then you are able to then put energy out to your audience and be able to allow them to 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 give you energy too, like a sharing of of emotions and sharing of of um of of ideas with them. So I think there's a lot of these performers who would, you know, they would read their audience very well. They would figure out what would make them tick. And I suppose through experience and through having done it many times, they would have a hunch, they would have a feeling for, you know, even regionally or um, or by by nation or by culture, they would know what would tick and what would make, what would access a certain group of people. Um, and it's just, then they can make the performance relevant to them. They can make it be fun for them and they can, I suppose, make them want to come back. And that's the big part of it. I think our the hard the hard part for Irish musicians performing in Ireland sometimes is that our culture is is somewhat taken for granted. And it's sort of like, oh, you're like trying to sell ice to the Eskimos, you know, it's it's kind of like, yeah, you know, we have it. Their culture would be amazing to someone who's not from there. But then all of a sudden when your culture to the people of your own of your own country can actually be taken for granted terribly. And we've always been guilty of that. But it it does, I think that there is an onus to a degree on the performer to to um to make it engaging for the audience. And then I mean the audience are not under any obligation to feel something when they go to it. 
it's your the audience are there i suppose to a degree as a consumer and you know they might have paid their way in and and they're they're looking for entertainment and then we have to be kind of aware that there are so many distractions as we talked about earlier there's everything vying for your attention the damn phone in your hand and the computer and the television and the and all kinds of different genres of things everything's available to us and now what you have to do as a as a as a person is try to curate what it is you actually want to consume you want to listen to or you want to and then if someone is not doing a good job on making that clear and accessible to you well then you're going to find yourself listening or looking at something else now as a student in the older days going back in the mid 1900s there was this idea of mentorship now i think this has changed somewhat now that you had these older musicians who had come from very strong traditions and they gave their time to mentor was the word young people coming into the traditional music scene to keep the heritage going keep the culture going so based on that what advice would you give to a young person or even an adult wanting to pick up a trad skill what advice would you give them starting out that they should do every day and to really take their skill and work on it and bring it to the best it can be well that's a there's a lot in that um i mean daily with that like with anything practice is key you know like with, in any form of music uh, the basics are the things that you rely on every day, every time you pick up an instrument, every time you you try to sing, the basics are are your your fundamentals. Um, the idea of mentorship, as you talk about, is very very strong in Irish traditional music, particularly. Um, you would walk into a session, and you could see anyone from eight to eighty um, sitting there playing their instrument side by side with uh, mutual respect. Um, in different ways, you know, the 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 youngster looking up at the at the other at the an older person and the older person looking down at the youngster thinking my god this is the future this is this is the you know isn't this great because they would they would see someone sharing their their same passion but at a vastly different part in their life um i think that you know what one of the big tr- things that has developed in the us uh, particularly is um irish musicians coming over to teach for want of a better word master classes or workshops um and there's a tremendous generosity in how that is shared. They're telling people literally note for note, technique, um, thought, and you know how they've achieved what they've achieved, and they're sharing it, you know, blow by blow. And it really, I think, is it has allowed kids who don't have access to it on a level where you know it's not in the pub down the road, and it's not. Um, you know, there isn't a GAA club down the road that would have a gig on. There isn't all of those kind of things that you could take for granted. Like Irish music is very accessible in Ireland. It's there. It's around us. You could almost be blind that there's so much of it around us. And it's our it's 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 our heritage. It's our culture. It's there. But making that available to kids who have an interest in it or to parents who have brought their kids to have it, because it starts with parents. It starts with them, you know, introducing their kids to it. Um. And that's where I think the, 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 the passion can be fostered in at a young age. You know, anything that you introduce kids to at a young age, you have a much better chance of it with them than if you introduce them to it at 25. There's an awful lot that has already, you know, a lot of the seeds are sown. Um, so getting youngsters involved in it. And that's what the 
for us locally here, the Centre for Irish Music is, is invaluable. I have three kids and they all play traditional music pretty much exclusively. Um, my son sings in a, in, a, uh, in a boy choir here who are actually doing a tour in Ireland next year. Um, and, you know, they're going, but like choirs are, are tremendously popular, but it's been devastating the last two years. I mean, these boys can't, can't get out to sing. They've been doing choir lessons on Zoom. I mean, that sounds like hell. Absolutely. It, it does really, because the, the whole notion of a choir is the togetherness, the fun, the, yeah, the just the whole notion of choir is great crack. Yes. Yeah, and, and you, you almost don't even hear them. You feel the people around you singing. Um, and that's, he's, it's an incredible organisation he's, he's involved in. But, um, you know, for my kids, the, the existence of the, the Centre for Irish Music has completely changed their lives. Um, my daughter's doing a, my eldest daughter is 20, and she's doing a, um, a music degree at the University of Minnesota. And then next year she plans Fantastic. to go to, uh, to Limerick. She's going to go to UL. Oh, and the nice. degree program in UL, yeah. Yeah, and I was just there a couple of weeks ago um, meeting with Orlani Vreen, who's um, one of the professors there. She's a longtime friend, but she's very much involved in the dancing circles as well. Mm -hmm. She's someone similar to yeah. myself who the dancing and the, and, the, and the music are, they're inseparable. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where... So this leads to the question, is it possible, you know, for somebody who hasn't been born into Irish traditional music from a young age to pick it up as an adult oh, yeah, totally. and get value from it. I would say in our in our school, 40% uh, or more of the students are adults and they go on to, they are some of the most keen and interested performers and participants. Um, yeah. There are regular sessions here every week um, in multiple locations. Um, and they're they are the most keen interest and, and performers and, and and participants in those. You know, the kids, it, it relies on their parents to be interested. And a lot of them might have, you know, their child might start and then the parent might actually take up the instrument as well or another instrument. And that kind of means then that it's part of the family. And then it becomes the family activity to do, you know, so they might go. Some of these would take place in pubs. Some often we've had sessions at the at the Celtic Junction as well. But because it's the location where people do their lessons, we don't tend to, you know, if we organize a session, it feels sort of like work to the kids. You know, it's almost like going to school to do more school. You know, at a certain point, you have to allow them, you know, the institution that they go to take lessons needs to be the institution that they go to take lessons and let that be. And then other aspects, they will go to concerts and they will go to stuff, but it, it usually has to be, you have to have the parents on board. You know, in a society like the U.S., it's just so much is, is parent driven. Um, so, um, yeah, and transportation and everything like that, you know, distances are far and, you know, the, the cost of doing various different things. But it really is very, very possible for people to to get involved in it as adults. And they do. I mean, we've experienced this. They're all around us. Um, Fantastic. Um, and that, and that's it, it, it would, I imagine, really improve mental health um, improve the links among the community and just the general quality of life because the one thing I've noticed with musicians in general that really are into music and, and really take to it is I don't see in my own circles anyway much depression or much kind of isolation that music tends to connect people in a way that no other art form usually can. Can access them and, and, and people who, who do have struggles with mental health find their solace they find their their fix within the music and within the people that play the music with them um there 
mental health is is dotted all over our society. The difficulties, it's really, and it's only something that as societies all over the world, we're waking up to in bigger and better ways and we're tackling it more head on. But I, I do know that in traditional music circles that the, the, the best vaccine or the best antidote for um, for depression. And for COVID. Yeah, absolutely. Because COVID has been very, very tough, I think, on people. Like a lot of touring music. Incredibly tough. Incredibly tough. Turn to teaching in a greater way, which is wonderful, which means that as we emerge from this, we're going to have, I think, an incredible crop of new young musicians who have been taught by the best of the best and, and, and they've given their time and given their energy and will probably, uh, it would probably have changed their lives forever in a sense that I know that there are musicians who didn't really, you know, they were out touring and they were very sought after and in demand and they wouldn't necessarily have been teaching on a regular basis, but the only way they could eat and to, to, to survive this period of time would have been to teach. And now I think that to become a part of their lives. I know certain ones I've talked to, they've said, well, yeah, it's just, I can't give up on these students. I'm, I'm invested in them. They're invested in me. And I can't always say, yeah, I'm off on tour and I'm back at this and good luck, you know? Um, so there's going to be, um, there's more giving back to the tradition in that sense. Um, and that, that, that's, there's, there's, you know, lots of disadvantages to these last few years. And maybe that's some of the benefits. Well, I think there's a lot of, positive sides and I hate to admit it because COVID has been so horrendous but I think you know if you look at it for, if you look at the glass half full rather than half empty there's plenty of positive things to look into mm. concerning the whole musical world and loads of opportunities and this is another question as well because I covered this in another interview that I did a few weeks back with Paul McGrattan is what kind of opportunities outside of performance do you see for people wanting to get into the traditional world, wanting to stay in the trad world as a career choice. I know we have the tutoring, we have performance. They're kind of the two main popular zones where musicians head for, but what other opportunities are there out there that aren't perhaps well known about? Um, I mean, I, I suppose you mentioned tutoring. I mean, there's direct, there's direct teaching, I suppose, of, you know, one-on-one -on -one student or one to a group. But there are, I think that there are a lot of, um, I think Irish music needs to explore and is exploring third level. Like we're talking about University of Limerick, which is a, which is not a one of its kind, but it, certainly a unique program from the point of view of the World Academy. And the practices that go on there are not very common. And I think that for our music to, and our, and our arts and culture to really succeed, I think a, a third level style um, expansion in our in our manner of teaching and and the the way that we approach it. Uh, one of the things that we're trying to do here locally, um, the notion of the Irish College is something that used to exist. You referred to the 1900s earlier. The Irish College there still is an Irish College in Paris, and there's a couple of other European cities as well that have Irish colleges, where it's they're I suppose to a degree they're like humanities studies to as well you know there, there's a lot more than just the music or just the poetry or just the literature or it, it's an entire kind of ethos of, of studying Irish history and Irish culture um, on many levels and our our attempt with the Irish College is to revive one that title and two the you know the majority of the people who would be learning or taking lessons from uh, our instructors would be uh, would be older. They might be retirees, and they're interested in Irish literature, 
Um, the music school really has the music side of things covered. And what we were trying to do was sort of um, fit in with the language is the biggest part. We, we have a fantastic teacher from Connemara, a lady called Lavinia Finnerty, who's, um, she's, you know, basically created a whole um, from the ground up Irish language program. And that's the most popular class. There's four different classes, I think, running at the moment in the Irish language. Um, and people are very serious about it. We took the, I, I was part of a group that took the TEG, um, which is the Tastas Yorpuk Velga, um, which is put out by the European community when Irish language was recognized as an official language of, of the Irish nation. And uh, there are six exams, I believe, in the TEG, and a group of eight of us took the first level of it and all passed. Um, so it was really a fun thing. I went to a, a Gael school that was part of, my parents were very interested in the language as well. Irish was spoken at home a lot. And um, it, it, it's just intrinsic in the culture that, um, that the language be part of it. And I think you have to understand the language to understand the, the heartbeat of, of Irish culture to a degree. And how, what the, what the phrases mean, what the turn of language means. Because I think you understand how Irish people speak English if you understand how they spoke Irish to a degree. Um, and there's a lot, there's a lot to be delved into there. But um, yeah, the Irish language program is 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 a huge part of it. There is so much to Irish culture, um, not just just the, the disciplines of one art form or another, but it's how they all kind of come together and how they're connected. And I think that the, the third level um Third level teaching is probably one of the biggest opportunities I think that exists both in, in, in North America and in other in other locations. To so I'm I'm sensing from you as well that perhaps more research and cataloging of all these concepts within Guelga uh, in Irish poetry and how it all connects into Irish culture needs to be done because to create those third level courses to find that content out is critical yeah, and to merge it together. Do you know what I mean? That there's an opportunity, there's a huge opportunity there if somebody loves the idea of Irish culture, delving deep, connecting the dots, researching and building it all in. Yeah, like the, the, the creation of the Irish Traditional Music Archive in Dublin was a massive step forward. And I think that there is efforts afoot to be able to, um, to, be able to replicate that and do that possibly on this side of the water. Um, I know for our own particular case, our library director is a Minnesotan himself, Brian Miller, and he his specialty or his absolute area of interest, and he's an incredible Irish musician himself and singer and, and performer, but his real area of interest is, um, is in the library of sciences, so it's archiving and it is researching and discovering um, the history of of particularly Irish traditional music so he has um, but I, all the projects I would say I would say it's urgent that it needs to be done because there's an age group now forgive me but they're expiring they're in their 80s perhaps a lot of them yeah. and when that age group passes on there is a gap it seems to me because there, there's been such a social change from like the 1960s through 80s that social change really you had western culture changing hugely from the very traditional rooted culture and i'd imagine that because that age group now is where they're at that all that knowledge needs to be collected now yeah before it's lost right you really are and there's i know because of my particular connection to it there's there's a whole generation um in the irish dance world that are 
perilously close, you could say, to their end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a mm-hmm. effort happening amongst um, the Irish Dancing Commission to archive and collect the memorabilia and to collect mm-hmm. the stories and collect the history, the oral history and the written history. I just, yeah, but I, I just want to say here for those listeners to the podcast who mightn't be very much into the Irish world, that when somebody plays an Irish tune, what they might do is they might go to the Irish music archives to find out where the tune originated from. What's the story behind the tune? Who played it a certain way? What developments did they do to the melody? What format of musicianship was used in creating that melody? And what was the inspiration really surrounding it to provide the backdrop to the music so as they can express it more accurately and maybe even take it forward if they choose to take that route. But that's, I'm just explaining that to the listeners so as they understand what we're talking about here. Yeah, and it's vitally important to understand the path that that music has come because then you can understand what, you know, when you play it, what the significance of it is. Some people just think of it. And I mean, the, the thing about Irish music as well is, um, just a quick story, this summer I visited Connemara for the first time. It's just, uh, it was just one of those places I wasn't able to get to because usually you know, work takes over life and you can only go short distances on day trips. But what is very interesting is you you see a place like Connemara and how that would have influenced the musicians of that area compared to Clare near the sea. Or you go down to the mountains of Kerry and the peninsula of Dingle, an absolutely stunning, stunning place. And that all inspires musicians in different ways because the environment surrounding them influences them or influenced them so and then you dig into the nuances of well what was the flair happening in Clare or what was the flavor of music happening in Connemara so that's where the depth of Irish music is rich and if we take that into the world of philosophy and you look at people like John O'Donoghue I'm I'm sure you're aware of Mm. you know he came very much from the world of the Burren and his language is so unique to what he experienced in that said area yeah. in some of his writings, as opposed to somebody else who wrote very differently in Kerry, John Moriarty. So really has such a, a massive impact on the art that's created in it. You know, the environment in yeah. Ireland is people think of Ireland as just being, you know, green fields and and, no, and then, no. it, it changes so rapidly from you go around a corner and it looks so different um, and and it feels different and the people uh, act differently. Um, so they do. I mean, for me, being here in for me, being in a day or here, you get used to kind of the golden veil of living yeah. here, if you will, yeah. and the commercialized environment that we're in. And then you go down to the Bear Peninsula in West Cork. Or you go down to the Dingle Peninsula and it's a completely different world. The people are so, so different. The community even lives differently. They act differently. They speak a different dialect almost sometimes, even in English. I know. Yeah, all in this country. Yeah, That's one of the amazing parts about, for me, as I said, we, we referred earlier to coming away from, coming away from Ireland to become whatever it is famous if that's your goal or recognized mm-hmm. and then you go back home and people go oh god yeah you've really you've done well for yourself <laughs> i look at it yeah. as i i don't think if i had continued living full-time in ireland that i would ever have the the knowledge or the appreciation that i have for what actually transpires in ireland it, and it's partly due to being able to have a bit of a bird's eye view and look in on it i mean i'm back and forth yeah. 19 i was back and forth to home every month I was back and forth 11 times in the year. That was more to do with various projects and, and events I was in, 
linked with or meetings or, and it's just the way that my particular life went. It wasn't by design necessarily. And I don't really intend to go back to that kind of level of travel. Um, but it, um, it, it has allowed me and afforded me this opportunity to kind of look in and be able to see um, that nuanced environment so clearly. And when you go to different parts, so when I was just home a couple of weeks ago, um, my, my family obviously lived in Dublin, but I was down to, uh, I was down to Cork to see some friends and uh, then I popped over to Limerick, one to see an aunt and the other to see Orla. Popped over to Galway to see somebody else, back to Dublin all in one day. Just around because, it, I mean, it would seem to someone like, God, that, that's a mad journey, but really it isn't. Um, no, it's very accessible, very possible to do, but the various different, the different cultures and the different um landscape and the and the gosh man the, the amount of different music that you could experience or art you could experience on that journey or you could spend a month doing it or as I said I spent a oh, day and yeah. there's yeah. a lifetime of research and there's a lifetime of gathering and archiving of this um incredible culture we're so lucky to have uh, well guys there you are there's there's an opportunity and a half an opportunity and a half for uh, a very fascinating interesting career choice for a musician very fascinating because the world of performance is so full and it's not that performance can't happen it should be part of life if that's what a musician wants to do but it's just COVID has yes yeah like you've got to balance out what you're doing. So as when something unexpected happens like COVID that you've other skills you can rely on these days. Yes. And that's why I'm just presenting the question to you about that. So listen, Cormac, it's been great speaking with you and we'll have you back again at some point when you want to talk about some new events, sure, yes. some new yes. exciting yes. events. Yes. And at the moment is hard to plan. You know, it's, it's, it's plan. most of the people that we tend to, we have a lot of, um, you know, either expats or, you know, Irish Americans or, you know, a lot of performance which would be directly from home and um, that we would uh, feature. And right now it's just very uncertain times. Um, I, I think people thought by now that they would be more certain times. Everyone was looking forward to the autumn. Everything will be grand when we get to there. And sure, we aren't a whole lot further ahead. I think at home, I, I think there's going to be a better recovery, maybe, uh, from what I can see, I think that's the, the, the type of patience that was involved in in holding on and trying to get the population to a place where things could be safer. I think there's actually going to be a greater um, a greater haste or a greater um, acceleration to the recovery at home and things will normalize. But in the US, I think it's, this is going to go on a long time. It's just very difficult to foothold here. Um, and it, it is learning to live with it. But it's it's learning to kind of get past it as well. So we've we've a lot mm. there's there's a lot of dissension over here, a lot of differences of opinion. I am aware. Yeah, I am aware. Difficult to yeah, well, cope with. What I what I can see here is that like the Ulane gallery, gallery in Dublin, they're starting to hold events now every week. There's YouTube videos going out that if you can't get there physically, you can see it beautifully on, on YouTube. Cormac Begley, a concertina player, did oh. a beautiful concert there mm. recently beautiful concert yeah he's a, he's a he's a great guy great guy and martin hayes then is moving around again i i understand and there's there's movement and i think the doolan folk festival is back on this september i think yeah. 
and there's pubs in Dingle open, like the O'Sullivan's uh, Corner House Pub, I think it's called, um, is open. They're doing sessions there maybe twice weekly. Check out their Facebook page. And they're getting views from America and getting lots of comments from America of visitors who would have come here in ordinary times and visited the place yes. um, are now looking at it online and really hooking into it. So, um, yeah, there's things people can do and look at online. And sad, though, was to see was Bantry House having to still keep it online even now for this season of Chamber Music Events yeah. down in West Cork. But sure. hopefully next year that will be back. It is. It's, and so, it, it's, we're fortunate that our technology is at a place where we can consume these things electronically, but yeah. it's not the same. Never be a replacement. It's just, no, it's not the same. But it's not a replacement for it. No, it's, it's not the same because there, there, there's something so, so special about going to a concert, even if you don't play music yourself or you don't even understand it fully. Yeah. Just to be there in the, the sound, the sound just goes through you. And it just resonates and it just changes the vibration. I mean, if you look at scientifically, you can talk about vibrational change in the body. Yeah. But putting that all aside, it's just, it's wonderful. It's just wonderful. Concerts are wonderful. They're fantastic. And I just hope they come the back motivations now. motivations I have, it's one of the things that has informed my journey to a degree was um, coming here to emigrate and then find it there's a tremendous uh, place in the Twin Cities here called the Cedar Cultural Center and it's really a world music venue but as a world music venue what they would do you know six to a dozen times a year is they would have the best of Irish acts through um, so for many for 30 plus years Alton would have been through um, and, and a whole host of others and there's a strong then tie and tradition with those with those places I mean the young lads from We Banjo 3 um from one from or two from Limerick and, and two from Galway. They're just mm -hmm. an incredible bunch of lads and their career in the US is just, it's so difficult for them because they are huge over here. They are literally like rock star status in the US. They they oh, would complain to thousands of people um, night after night after night touring and they're sequestered at home. They can't get into the, they can't get into the US right now. So it's very, very tough. They're, they're good friends of mine and it's very tough to see them, you know, trying to just make it through um and and they have a um they have an amazing following and their time will come again you know it, it really will but meanwhile well i would say i would say one thing i mean paddy's day as we call it in ireland or saint patrick's day mm. if that comes off next march that would be a huge thing right. and i think that could that if that comes off you're it's like the open, the door is starting to open and things can go bang. Um, so if, if that comes off, I think it will be huge. And I'm hope I'd say it could come off in Ireland. I'd say it could if things hold up. America, though, we wouldn't be sure. We'll see. I, I think that there's enough, um, let's just say, ignorance or blind faith here that it might just happen. It might not be the prudent thing to do. It might not be the safe yes. thing to do, but it may just happen. Um, but I think inadvertently it will help people, though. It will lift the doldrums and lift the greyness of what has happened. And, the, and, and it's just plow on, I think, is, is a lot of what people are trying yeah. to do. There's, there's um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a straightforward thing. You know, Very it's not because I often look back to the days of World War Two, and I often think we're look, we often look back at hindsight as to what's happened and we can just look at it and study it and all the rest. 
But imagine if you're living in World War Two and you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, the day after next week and so on. And we're kind of like that. We don't know what's going to happen. But look at how they just plowed on and it ended and we got through it. Yeah. And I think you know there's there's little gaps of light there's little shards of light coming through and i would say for the irish scene anyway if st paddy's day comes off we're in a good you know it's it's a good one yeah it's, it's because really a good one is the big the big drive there's usually such a massive um tourist influx into ireland for that time and if it's possible and if it's deemed to be safe or reasonably safe to do i think that'll really propel things along well, I can attest to coaches coming in here now over the last number of weeks and everything was done above board. The, you know, the everything was really well done, both in the local community here from their point of view, as well as the coach tour coming in. Um, so I would say to anyone who's interested in coming back to Ireland, you'll be well looked after. The authorities are doing their job very well. So yeah, no, I would encourage that if people want to come back, come back. Yeah, at home, you yeah. be proud of people. There's been an incredible effort and care taken to mm-hmm. one to spare lives and two to keep people safe and it's very hard yeah, they've to done their... that when you're the when your industry is the one that's being hammered by. that's being hit yeah but, being hit yeah uh, i think the truth will will prevail in the end and i think that you know um i think we'll come back strong i think it really yeah i think so i think so well listen cormac it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and we'll have you back again at some point for sure and as as things happen and develop with your community in minnesota we'd love to hear about it because irish music by what i am seeing has huge relevance in today's world more than ever and it has such a community connection built into it and there's no separation between the musician to the audience everybody's at the one level we can't say the same for other genres but in the irish music circle that's the way it is and i think that is so so needed and there's such a depth to it as well a spiritual end to it um it it runs deep it runs deep it really does and it's needed it's it's really needed so pleasure thank you so much thank you so much yourself